Revelation chapter number three. Um, we are looking tonight at the church in Philadelphia, and uh, my my prayer is, is that we can get through it all. Um, if we don't, there'll be a to be continued. All right. And uh, so, uh, Revelation chapter number three, uh, starting in verse number seven, and to the church, or excuse me, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things: saith he that is holy. He that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are to not, but, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the honor of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man can take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. What the Spirit saith to the churches. We're going to start right in the top of your outline of the Church of Philadelphia. And uh, jump right in. The sixth church to which our Lord sent a letter in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 was in Philadelphia. The church was one of only two of the seven churches that receives not a single word of condemnation. The other, of course, we studied a couple weeks ago, the church at Smyrna. The church at Philadelphia was an actual local church, as was all the rest of them at the time John wrote. It was chosen by our Lord because it had the characteristics of certain churches of every generation. Therefore, it had a very special, special message, not only to its original re- readers, but also to churches and believers of all time. And this is what I want you to see, because this is kind of the catalyst for our thought process. It represents the faithful evangel- uh, evangelistic excuse me, church or believer who endeavors to win people to Christ. It was a uh, it was an evangelistic church. It was an outreaching church. It was a reaching church. And, uh, and so this church represents churches that are evangelical or evangelistic as well as individuals who strive to tell people about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you this, that as long as I'm the pastor of North Point Baptist Church, it's important that we keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is, is that we draw people to Jesus Christ. That, that we share with them the truth. Because we have the truth. It should not be, we should not be uh, dimming our light. We should be shining our light very brightly so that all the world can see as a church. But then if we can translate that a little bit further, that should be us as individuals. We should strive to show people who Jesus really is. Someone once said this a long time ago. They said, you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. And you know what? That's very true. It's very true. And so we need to be the right kind of witness. Number one, as it has been for the last several weeks, the city. The city. Chapter number three, verse number seven. The Bible says, And uh, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? 
These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. The name Philadelphia comes from two Greek words. You probably know this. Uh, uh, one meaning philio, which means love, and the other adolphus, which means brother. Thus the name means the city of brotherly love. The city of brotherly love, the church at Philadelphia. So we have the, the two Greek words there that, that share. And certainly the church of Philadelphia uh, emulated this idea of being a church of brotherly love. Philadelphia was located about 20 miles southeast of Sardis in the Imperial Post Road that came from Rome via Troas. And if you have your um, map from your very first week, you'll be able to see how this lines up because it's very interesting. Um, it, it, it is a, it's an Imperial Post Road that came from Rome via Troas and Pergamus and Sardis on its way to the east came through there. So it, it was almost like it was almost like everybody had to filter down into Philadelphia uh, because of the Imperial Post. Thus Philadelphia was a very important military city in John's day because they had to keep the peace amongst everybody. And so Philadelphia had a high military presence. And if you know anything about the military, which is why this church is the way it is, I, and I, I want to be very cautious here because um, I think sometimes we get the wrong idea. Everyone gets the idea about the military that they're strong, hard, they have no heart, they have you know, nothing. I would dare say to you that most uh, uh, military men and women are actually just the opposite. Military men and women, they serve our country. They serve strong. They serve hard. They serve up against the enemy. They do that well. But I would say that there's a whole other side of a soldier that we very rarely see. And that other side of the soldier is this. It's one that loves and cares for the people in which they're protecting. And, and we begin to see stories like that every once in a while. The media doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, tend to share that with us. But we see stories every once in a while. And I would say to you that the reason that this city was a city of brotherly love is because it was well protected. And it was well protected by people who cared for people. And uh, when the enemy came in, they destroyed the enemy. And when it was all over with, they still cared for the people. So it was a city of brotherly love. This city was often damaged by earthquakes. It actually sits um, on a, on a um, plate line. And uh, it was often damaged by earthquakes, which resulted in a fear that kept a large part of the population from living within the city walls. The, the word there that you're missing is earthquakes. Um, today, there is still a town um, that exists on the ancient site of Philadelphia. And uh, if you can pronounce it, good luck. Um, but it's in modern Turkey having a population of around 15,000 people. And so there is still a city there where Philadelphia once was. But it is still damaged by earthquakes. As a matter of fact, I did a little bit of research because I was curious. And I went back to look at this little city. And uh, over the past 10 years, they've had seven catastrophic earthquakes. And uh, people are still today afraid of living in this place. And uh, so this is important that you keep this earthquake thing in your mind because in a little bit when we get to the end, it's going to come up again, all right? So here it is. It's a city that is built and there, people were, were somewhat fearful uh, because of the earthquakes. 
and, uh, and so they lived within the large, within the city walls. And uh, if they lived in the city walls, they were even more afraid. So it should be noted that in Revelation 3, 7, we have a description of Christ not previously mentioned in the book of Revelation. And that is uh, in chapter number 3, in verse number 7, it says, uh, And he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. It is a description of Jesus as we are Christ, as we have not previously seen mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, one of the other key thoughts here is the key of David. This is a very interesting study, and I could spend the next two hours talking to you about this. Um, but since I don't have two hours, we're going to do it in two minutes, all right? The other, uh, you know, the other time is you going home and figuring it out. Now, um, the key of David is a reference to Isaiah chapter number 22, verses 20 through 22. Uh, Eliakim, the son of Hakiah, was given the key to the house of David during the reign of King Hezekiah. Say that sentence ten times fast. Um, the key, this key to the house of David specifically referred to all the treasuries of the kings of Judah, but it also figuratively referred to all the, the next word is powers, uh, in government that rested on the office which was equivalent of a prime minister. So this key that, of David that was given by King Hezekiah was literally a, a key to all the treasuries. It was a key to all the money. It was a key to all the gold. It was a key to all the pearls. It was a key that anybody would have wanted to get their hands on. And uh, so here we have the key to the house of David. Now, we know, according to Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 7, we know that Jesus Christ, because it says, He that hath the key of David. The Lord Jesus Christ holds the key of David, which is the key to all the treasures of truth, power, and reward. And then it says, Jesus opens that and no one can shut it. And he shuts it and no one can open it. This key is also important because of Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 18. And we've talked about that already. But let's go back and read it. What does it say? Chapter 1 and verse number 18. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have what? The keys of what? Hell and death. This is a serious key that is being held by God himself. And so we know that God holds or Jesus holds all the truth and all the power and all the reward. And that's important to us. It's going to be really important to us in just a couple minutes when we talk about those rewards. And so Jesus has that. Now, it's, it's interesting. He shuts and no man can open. He, he opens and no man can shut. Can anybody think of a story in the Bible that this actually happened? There it is. Somebody said it. Did you say Noah? The ark. Do you remember the story uh, of, of, of Noah building the ark and, 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 and him preaching for a hundred years or so? And then finally it came come time for, for the ark to be occupied. And so the Bible says they came two by two and here they all get on the ark. And Noah gets on the ark and Noah's family gets on the ark. 
And the Bible says, who shut the door? God shut the door. Now, this is very important. You say, Pastor, this is a kid's story. No, this is truth. We've made kids' stories out of the Bible, which struggles with me a little bit. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because this is a truth story. This is, not, this is not a fairy tale. This really happened. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Put yourself in the boat. This is what I do when I read the Bible, so you just have to hang on, all right? I put myself in the boat. The Bible says the water started rising. you got to realize Noah and his family were not the only people on the earth. On the outside, there were people. And I don't know exactly how this all worked, but I can imagine that there were people banging on the ark to get in. I imagine that people were screaming, trying to get into the ark. Some of them were probably saying, Noah, open the door. But Noah couldn't open the door. Because who shut it? God shut it. Now, here's the great thing about Noah. You ready for this? This is my favorite part of the story. Noah's in the ark. And the waves started coming. You think there were waves? Noah was tossed probably all around inside that boat. Have you ever been on a boat that's had some waves? They were tossed all around. I mean, it's storming for a long time. Noah probably even fell a few times inside the ark. But you know the great thing about that story is Noah never fell out of the ark. You know why? Because God shut the door. You know what the Bible says? Is that when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, that he sealed me? He sealed me until when? The day of redemption. He shut the door. Just try it, the enemy. Just go ahead and try. Try to get in there. I can't get out and nobody can get in. Are you with me? I mean, it's, it's, he's got the key. I hear people talk to me all the time about the security of salvation. I have no problem with it. None. Once I'm saved, I'm always saved because he sealed it. He took care of it. Now, I might bounce around a lot. I might even fall a couple times in my Christian life, right? But you know what? I can get right back up because I can't fall out. That's good preaching right there. <laughs> Sorry, I had a moment. I'm, I apologize. All right, so this key is important. It holds the key of death and hell. Number two, the commendation. Man, we're only on number two. All right, number two, the commendation. What was the commendation? Chapter number three, verse number eight. The Bible says, I know thy works. He knows thy works, by the way. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold... I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. You've heard that term before, haven't you? Synagogue of Satan? We've talked about that. Um, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. It's important that we understand this. Do you see this? Jesus, Jesus says things on purpose. Watch this. Look with me in verse number seven. Look at the middle part of the verse. He that is true. That's what they said about Jesus. He that is true. And then we jump down to verse number nine, and he says, by the way, I'm true, and they're lying. And the reason I know they're lying is because I'm truth. 
Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. We're going to get there in just a minute, but that's one of the most, one, uh, a very controversial verse. And we'll talk about it in just a moment. The commendation. What were they commended for? Jesus says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. So here's the question tonight. What are some of the things an open door can represent? Now, how many of you have ever heard somebody say this? God has opened a door in my life, and I was able to walk through it. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? God opened the door. And we always say, well, God shut the door. Anybody ever had God shut the door? Everybody, anybody ever had God shut the door, and there's not a door open? I read something the other day. It said, when God opens the door... Or no, when God shuts the door and he doesn't open another door, praise him in the hallway. Oh, that's pretty good. So, the Bible says, I have set before thee an open door. What do the open doors represent? Well, Colossians chapter 4, verse number 3 says this. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. What does that word mean? To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Who's speaking here? Colossians. Paul is speaking. And he says that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Anybody have an idea what that might mean? You say, Pastor, you keep asking us questions tonight. It's close. A door of utterance. A door to share the gospel. That you would open unto us a door of utterance. Why? So that we can speak the mystery of Christ. And Paul says, for which I am also in bonds. So God, when he opens the door, it's an evangelical door. It's an evangelistic door. Look what Acts chapter 14 says. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And how he had what? Opened the door of Faith unto who? The Gentiles. This is the Jews talking. And they're saying we are so thankful that God has opened the door of faith so that people can know him. The doors that are open that God gives us, we should walk through when it comes to sharing the gospel or sharing the truth of the gospel to other people. We are not told exactly here in our passage what the open door was at Philadelphia. But based on the scriptures that we just read, we can assume it was an important um, evangelistic effort because God opens doors evangelistically. And that's important. Christ also says in verse number eight, thou hast little strength. This is a very interesting phrase. This does not mean the believers in Philadelphia were weak, but they were few. That's the word you're looking for. They were few in number. And probably had very small monetary resources. They were few in number. He said that they were, had little strength. Few in number. But if you remember, there's a few stories in the Bible. Or should I say truths in the Bible. There's a few truths in the Bible as we look at them. Where God had a large army. And he began to weed it out. Because strength is not always in numbers. Listen to me. 
Strength is in dedication. There is a huge difference. I can fill an arena of people and bring in some huge speaker that everybody would know their name. And we can sell tickets and sell out the dome and bring them in and let them speak. And we could still be weak. Still be weak. Because strength is not in numbers. Strength is in being dedicated to God. There's a huge difference. Now, the Bible says unto me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made what? Perfect in what? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What can be accomplished for God is not determined, and I really want you to see this, by money, buildings, or numbers of people, but by the willingness of the believer or believers to do what? The will of God. When I got to thinking about that, there was a little song that came to my mind. Let me share it with you. Little as much when God is in it, labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Little as much when God is in it. God, God doesn't need. Let me make you understand something here real fast. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need our bank account. God doesn't need uh, our buildings. God doesn't need any of that kind of stuff. God just needs someone that'll say yes. Because the last time I checked, I didn't own a cattle on a thousand hill in the hills too. My God does. My God does. And he can take care of it. The Jews, from, uh, the, the Jews whom Christ called the synagogue of Satan in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 9 were probably using the same tactics as the Jews who are persecuting the church in Smyrna that we talked about last week. They, 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 excuse me, a couple weeks ago. They were, they were persecuting the church, and they were persecuting it here. The synagogue of Satan seems to describe a Jewish element that denied Christ as Messiah and actively persecuted those who did proclaim him as Messiah. Of them, Christ says, someday they will come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. This is a great thought. He says, one day they are going to come and they are going to worship before your feet. And not only are they going to worship before your feet, they're going to know that I. Did you see that? Because this is important. They're not going to know that you loved me. They're going to know that I loved you. You're showing your love by your works to them. And one day I'm going to show them that I loved you in return. That's so important. This is reminiscent of something else that all who denied Christ will have to do. As described in Philippians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. You all know the verse. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall what? Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. God covered it all. And that every tongue should what? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is... (laughs) I really want you to get this because I, I don't know that we understand this verse. We have a tendency to, to say, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven because at the name of Jesus, we're going to bow and we're going to confess. Listen to me, church. Do you realize that every single person that's ever walked the face of this earth 
is going to bow. Every single person. Those that have persecuted Christians. Those that have killed Christians. Those that have done terrible things in our society. Those that have proclaimed themselves as Christ. Those that have tried to, in all of their uh, power to change the course in life are going to bow. And not only are they going to bow, God takes it a step further. They are going to confess. They are going to have to verbally say that Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, Pastor, how is that going to happen? I don't know. I have no idea. But this is the only thing I can think of. That the moment that that presence happens, the moment that the great white throne judgments, and we'll talk about that in a little while, that the lost people show up at, that they're being judged at the great white throne, I can only imagine that the very presence of Jesus, no one will be able to deny. Why? Because of how powerful our God really is. It's very interesting. We can clearly see the church of Philadelphia had both opportunities and they had obstacles. A church that has no faith, are you ready for this? A church that has no faith sees all the obstacles. While a church that has faith sees the opportunities and knows Christ has all the keys and can open any door. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a church that sees the obstacles. I want to be a church that sees the opportunities that lie before us. Number three, the condemnation. Of course, we know that as Luther Church of Smyrna, there was no condemnation. So we'll just move on to our next thought. There is no condemnation there. Number four, the command. The command, verse number 11. Chapter three, verse number 11. Behold, I come quickly. Here's the command. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy, what's the next word? Crown. Now, this is a very interesting study in the word of God. And again, this is another one of those things I could take the next two hours and talk to you about. Uh, But I've given you a lot of information about the crowns and where you can find them. And uh, we're going to briefly talk about them. But I would encourage you to go home and study it more. But um, this is where we're at. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast. Hold it fast. Christ assures the believers of their reward by saying, hold fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Jesus will reward all those faithfully, or excuse me, all those who faithfully serve him with a crown. There are at least five different crowns or rewards referred to in the New Testament. Now let me preface this before we get into it. There are five crowns mentioned in the word of God. However, there are about 10 rewards that are mentioned in the word of God that are not crowns. So these are not the only rewards that you can receive. One day, I promise you, uh, it won't be in the study of the book of Revelation. It may be on a Sunday morning. I will speak to our church about receiving a reward and uh, about all the rewards that are in the Bible. Now, there's one more thing I want you to understand about this. This is very important. This is where people get really messed up. And so I want you to focus with me for a moment because it's very important. These rewards, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit more in just a moment. These rewards have absolutely, positively nothing to do with salvation. 
Because you cannot earn your salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. This is not earning our salvation. This is a reward for being faithful because here's the truth. Works have nothing to do with our salvation. Works have everything to do with our reward. I want you to separate them. You, you with me? Any questions about that? It's very important. Okay, here we go. Number one, the crown of life. James chapter one and verse number 12. We don't have time to read these verses. You should read them uh, when you get home. The crown of life is to those that endure patiently through trials. These are people that go through trials in their lives and they don't give up. Not only do they not give up, but they stay faithful to God. The, the number one person I think of, who's the first person that comes to your mind in the Bible that you think of that probably will get this crown? Job. You all said it together. There you go. We're all on the same page. Job. There's someone that endured trial. We'll get the crown of life. Number two, an incorruptible crown. Now, this is an interesting crown. And I, I, you should go home and study this one. Sometimes I laugh at this one a little bit because of me. Um, this is an incorruptible crown. This is having self-control. And being disciplined in the Christian life. Oh, pastor. Does the Lord have to put that one in there? Yeah, that's in there. Self-control. Having a, a disciplined Christian life. Now, does this mean you don't ever make any mistakes? Absolutely not. Because we're all flesh. But it's making a mistake, realizing you made a mistake, and not repeating the mistake. And so it's, it's having self-control in your Christian life. It's not allowing things to enter into your life that can put your life into out of control or, or, or spin you out of control. It's being disciplined. Number three, the crown of rejoicing. This is the soul winner's crown. This is given to those that share the gospel with other people. It's not a one-time event sharing the gospel with people. It is an everyday event. The crown of rejoicing. Number four, the crown of righteousness this is a crown for those who loved the Lord's appearing. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make sense. You know, the Bible says that we are to be looking for his return. The Bible says that we should believe that God is going to return so much that we're looking for it. It reminds me, just a few weeks ago, my parents were here. And my sons, especially my younger ones, I told them that morning, we never tell them in advance so we tell them in advance, we'll never hear the end of it. So we tell them that morning before they go to school, Grandma Grenade is going to be here after school and after we eat dinner. They get home from school. What time is Grandma Grenade? They're going to be here in about two hours. Two hours, all right. So then immediately, because I've told them earlier that day, they're going to be here after dinner. You know what they want to do? They want to eat dinner. So they eat dinner, Grandma Grenade is going to be there. So I said, no, it's not dinner time yet. So then we finally eat dinner. When dinner's all over... Have you ever met Atlanta traffic? So then the call comes. Hey, we're stuck. We'll be there in a little bit. And my children will sit on the front porch of my house. And they will wait. And they will wait. And they will wait. Now we live where we live. There's a curve that comes right around our house right there. So every time lights come around, there they are. No, they're not. Finally, the moment comes, they pull up. And you have to grab a hold of them because they'll, they'll take off, you know. And, of course, Grandma jumps out of the car and shoo, there they go. That's what Jesus is talking about. 
anticipating his return. Number five, the crown of glory. And this is for leaders who were examples to the flock. I want you to notice this is very important. I never said pastors. I said leaders. People that have and were examples to other people. People pouring their lives into other people to help them grow as a Christian. Those are the five crowns. Now, salvation is the gift of God. I've got to hurry. Not of works. It is received by faith alone. However, rewards or crowns are not gifts. They are given to believers based upon their works, the things that we do after we are saved. Salvation has nothing to do with works, but rewards has everything to do with works. Christ said in Revelation 3a, I know thy works. And then the implication is, is he, give out, he gives out rewards accordingly. We can never lose our salvation. However, in 2 John chapter 2 and verse number 8, this is an important verse. It says that we can never lose, the Bible tells us we cannot lose our salvation. But 2 John, who is written to believers, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is written only to believers. Um, and I want to make sure that you understand that as you study, uh, if you were to go uh, and do that. It says that we can lose our rewards. Look to yourselves, the Bible says in 2 John chapter 2, verse number 8, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full what? Reward. I believe with all my heart that people that have fallen and people that have fallen and ran away from God, fallen and not stayed faithful, that they can lose their reward. They can lose it. And that's proof right there in 2 John. Number five, the comfort. What's the comfort? Verse 10 and verse 12 to 13, the Bible says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Verse 12, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The comfort, here it comes. And there's a lot here, so, and I don't have a lot of time, but there's a lot here. And uh, so we're just going to kind of move through it. But I, I think you can, can grasp because it's good information. Christ comforts the church by saying, I also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon the world. Now, we are only in chapter number three. Please understand that. We have not hit chapter number four. Um, and when we get to chapter number four, we're going to talk about this and and a lot of you, my first time I mentioned this, I think it was like the very first, uh, ooh, very first uh, lesson that we did. Uh, we, start, we talked about the pre-tribulation rapture. We talked about being raptured out before the tribulation happens. Here the Bible says, I will also keep thee from an hour of temptation which shall come upon all of the world. And so now for the church of Philadelphia, it is not the same for our church. You understand that, that this was written to the church at Philadelphia, but it applies to our church. You understand that, right? As we've done through all of this passage of Scripture. What is the hour of temptation, Pastor? Here's the question. Though there is much disagreement over this verse, it seems most logical uh, to conclude that to the original recipients of this letter, it referred to the coming persecution of the Romans. You go back and study history, you'll find out that the Roman Empire was coming in and uh, they were going to be persecuting the church to the nth degree. It was going to be terrible. You go back, you look in history, you'll see that. 
And uh, God promised the church of Philadelphia that they would not be a part of the Roman Empire takeover. So what does it mean to us? To all other believers, it is a reference to the worldwide tribulation. We believe, or I'm going to state that differently. I believe that before the tribulation occurs, that we are going to be raptured out of here. According to Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. And so, therefore, I believe that this verse has the implication, it has the, the, the thought process of the same thing, that to our church, we are not going to have to endure uh, the temptation of the whole world that they're going to, the tribulation of the whole world, which is the tribulation that, that we will talk about as we get to chapter number four and ahead. And so, please understand that this is just more evidence of the fact that uh, we will not be involved in the tribulation. Now, I know there's disagreement over this verse, and if you go home and you were to put this verse uh, into a concordance or you put it into some type of um, um, uh, reference material or whatever the case might be, you're, you're going to get several different ideas. But if you look at it in a logical way, you'll see that based upon history with the Roman Empire and with the church, that this is the reason we believe the way we believe. Is that clear? Are, we, are you good? Okay. All right. Uh, further comfort is given by the Lord in Revelation 3.12. He says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. This is so interesting to me. Um, there, there's just things in the word of God that it's just like, okay, it pokes my interest. Um, he says, Him that overcometh. Who are the overcomers? Believers. People that endure to the end. Wait a minute, that's me if I stay faithful. That's you if you stay faithful. Wait a minute, he's going to make a pillar in the temple of my God? I'm going to be a pillar. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. What does that mean? This is so interesting. I'm sorry, if this doesn't interest you, it does me, and I apologize. But this is great. It was a common practice at this time um, in church history, to memorialize the deeds of a distinguished municipal leader, a great senator, or an outstanding citizen by inscribing that person's name on a special, is the word, pillar in one of the city's temples. So if you were to go to a city temple and, it, it, and, and someone was distinguished and they're a leader, a senator, an outstanding citizen, they would take their name and they would inscribe it on a pillar. Can you imagine living during that time and your family coming and visiting and you're being like, hey, let's go check the pillar out. My name's on it. Got my name on the pillar. I mean, I think I'd have a party if my name got on the pillar. I don't know about you. But it was a big deal. This would serve as a permanent reminder. That it's on the pillar. It's a permanent reminder of that person and his deeds. Thus, the faithful believers at Philadelphia were assured of special honor in heaven. To those in this church who had been persecuted and ostracized, Christ promises recognition and honor worthy of a distinguished citizen. Wow, that's really cool. The phrase, he shall go no more out. Would have, had, would have special significance to the believers at Philadelphia. That's why I told you to hang on to the earthquake thing. They spent their lives fleeing the city at the slightest tremor and only returning when they felt safe. 
So can you imagine? I, it, it, they, they live in a place where literally at the very moment of a, of, a, of a tremor, they would all flee. They would get out of there. And so they spent their lives literally almost living out of a suitcase, if I could use that terminology. Because they never knew when they were going to have to flee. They never knew when their life was going to be in danger. If they lived inside the city walls, these believers were always insecure and were fearful of earthquakes. However, Christ is saying, when you come to live in the Father's house, there will never be a need to flee in fear. For you will be safe and you will be secure. Listen, church. If you're a Christian here tonight, you have no reason to fear. You say, Pastor, there's, there's things all around us that make us fearful. Please don't take this the wrong way. And I'm not saying this in a, in a way to be disrespectful. But you can't threaten me with heaven. If you take my life, guess where I'm going? Heaven. You say, Pastor, are you ready for somebody to take your life? No, 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 no. But are you with me? What's the worst thing that can happen to me? I go to heaven? We have no reason to fear. The Bible says, for God has not given us the spirit of what? Fear. So if God hasn't given us that spirit, who has? The enemy. The enemy. A couple of nights ago, my, I always tell stories on my sons. One day they're going to grow up and it's going to bite me. Um, <laughs> as they're going to get back at me. Um, but my, my Samuel was in bed one night and, and all the lights are off. And I hear, dad, dad, dad. <laughs> and it was, it was a different kind of dad. And so I got up and went in there. What's wrong, Samuel? There's a ghost in my room. Now, as a dad, you want to laugh, but you know it's a true fear, so you hold it, you know. And I'm like, there's a ghost. Yes, there's a ghost. So, now, first of all, how do you know anything about ghosts? And he begins telling me about this story he learned at school. The ghosts, they're white. And, and, you know, all this. But it wasn't a scary story because he told it to me. And I said, where is there a ghost? And he said, right there. It's right there. And I look over <laughs> I look over, and <laughs> earlier that day, he had taken one of his stuffed animals that was white, and he had put covers on it, so all you could see was the top of its white head. <laughs> so, I, so I turned the light on, and I said, look, buddy, I said, it's just your baby. That's what they call them, their babies. I said, it's just your, your bear. I'll never forget. He looked at back at me and he goes, Whew. <laughs> a ghost bear. That's all right, Dad. We're good now. I said, you know what? We'll take it and you can sleep with it, you know? You know, the truth is we have no reason to fear because God promises that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. At the end of verse 12, Christ says, I'll write upon him in my new name. <laughs> this is great. No one knows for sure what the name is, but whatever it is, it will be the new name for Christ. Now, we have lots of names in the Bible for God and for Christ. 
But there is one name that no, none of us know yet. It's going to be the new name. He said, Pastor, can you prove that? Sure. Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written. Boy, oh boy. You know, I think God always saves the best to last. Are you ready for this? You know, you say, Pastor, why wouldn't he tell people his new name? I had to contemplate that. Matter of fact, I sat in my office and I scratched my head a little bit about it. Why wouldn't he tell people his new name? What, 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 I don't understand. Why would he keep that a mystery from us? This is the only conclusion I can come to. Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 12 is after the great white throne judgment. That means that the only people that can call him his new name are the believers. It is going to be their name for him. I don't know about you, I gave goosebumps. I, I just... I'm just amazed the fact that there's a name that no man knows, but one day it's going to be written. And we're going to look at it. And for the very first time in our lives, we're going to be able to pronounce that name of Jesus. No man will ever take it in vain. Are you with me? No one will ever corrupt it. Because it's just for the believers. Wow. The letter ends with a familiar appeal, appeal. Hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, there's so much that we can get excited about and learn from the Word of God. And I pray that you're just, I don't know about you, I just... I just get such a passion and an overwhelming sense of wanting to learn more and more. And there's so much that I don't know. And I just want to learn more and more because it just seems like that God just reveals a nugget every once in a while. And it's like, man, I just want to get more. I just want to get more so I can know the Savior in which I serve. Any questions tonight? Any thoughts? Anything? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's the only man that can take it away. That's right. It's a good thought. The only only person that can lose their crowns is is for themselves, and uh, that's exactly right. It's good. Anybody else? Thank you so much for being here tonight, and uh, uh, I pray that you're. Looking forward to worshiping together on Sunday. It's going to be a great, great day. And uh, we're excited about it. And uh, if you're able to, I think tomorrow, uh, some of the ladies are doing some stuff in the morning and in the afternoon um, to get ready for Sunday. And uh, so if you're able to help out with that, I think there's, what, what time are they? 10 to 12 and then 1 to 3 or 4 or something like that. I, um, talk to Miss Kim or my wife, and they'll give you details about that to be able to. We're going to decorate this room, and we got to get set up for the dinner after we're, after Sunday morning, and so it'll be a it'll be a great day. Let's pray together, and uh, we'll be just yes, yes.
Oh, yeah, that's right. I do need to do that. Uh, Mrs. Jonathan is here tonight. Mrs. Jonathan is Pastor Parker's mom, and uh, she's here tonight all the way from New York. We'll forgive her for that. Um, but uh, she's with us tonight, and uh, she's here in town for about a week. Uh, on Sunday, you're going to get a special treat. She's going to play the piano for us on Sunday, and uh, she's going to do our offertory for us. And um, there's all kind of talent in that family. We're still trying to squeeze it out of Pastor Parker. Um, I'm kidding with you. Um, but she's here with us for about a week, or here in town for about a week. And, and uh, so you pray for her with her traveling. And she says she came here to find warm weather. She's still looking for it. And um, so uh, maybe we can treat her to some before it turns cold again. And uh, so uh, thank you for that reminder, for sharing that. And thank you, uh, Mrs. Jonathan, for being here tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity that we've come, that we have tonight to worship you. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for the word of God. I thank you for its applicability in our life and Lord, that we can glean and learn. And so God, I pray that you'll help us to continue to have that desire. Lord, give us a great rest of the week. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.